Hello? Yeah, I'm on. Cool. Hey, family. What's up, guys? Uh, so I wanted to share about, like, living in community with you guys tonight. Um, and in case you guys don't know, I live in a fantastic house. Uh, incredible house. My roommates are Zach, Peter, uh, Alex, Ryan, Tristan, and the two non-official tenants are Bobby and Andrew. Uh, so there's like, and they actually are legally, like if you stay overnight at a place for over two weeks, you're a tenant. So they are technically are tenants. So there's like nine guys in one house. Um, and it's just incredible. And um, I just want to talk to you guys about community a little bit. And um, I'm reading in James 1, or no, excuse me, First John. And it says, um, but if we walk, yeah, yeah. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his, son's his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then you have this theme in James. I don't know if you read the verse, but it says, um, confess your brothers so that you may be healed and pray for one another. Um, and God is so incredible, and he loves humility so much that he'll give you answers and he'll give you revelation that can only come from your brothers and your sisters because he loves humility. Um, and he loves community. And these guys have rocked my life. Like, my life is totally different. I lived in a non-Christian house before this, and now I'm in this house, and, like, changed my life. Like, every time I interact with Peter when I say goodnight, like, I learn something about the Father. <laughs> and it's so fun. Um, and so I just want to encourage you guys, like, be humble with one another. Be, be vulnerable with one another. Um, there's so much fruit that comes from it. Um, and he's the one who's the winner. It's not us. So don't worry about looking like a loser or anything. Just be vulnerable with one another. He's, he's got it. And if you're not living in a Christian house, I'd just say try it. Uh, it's fun. It's a blast. Um, <laughs> yeah. I got woken up at 2.30 the other night by Tristan, and we literally laughed for the next hour nonstop at 2.30 in the morning. And, like, it's just constant joy and it's constant communion, and you learn stuff about the Father every day when you live with people. So if you're uncomfortable, I say just do it. Just live in a house with other believers. Um, you'll be up here sharing a testimony, I'm sure, about how good it is and the goodness of God. So uh, love you guys. Thanks for letting me talk. And here's Eric. Thanks, Chad. Hey, so this weekend we are doing that international retreat that I have mentioned the past couple weeks. Thanks, Ian, for putting that together. So we're heading out, um, we're meeting at the LSC at noon, right, LSC? At noon, heading down to Colorado Springs, um, we're going to get some good barbecue that uh, afternoon, evening, um, we'll probably, probably go on a hike at some point, and the, the point of it is to um, experience culturally what Easter is, and then to really dive into the true meaning of Easter and what Jesus did for us. So... Uh, it's geared towards international students, so if you are an international student, you should go. If you have international friends, you should go. Or if you just want to go, you should go. If, if you don't have something, uh, it, it's worth it. And it, it's 30 bucks. If you don't have 30 bucks, I'll pay for you. It's not a big deal. Uh, which 30 bucks is great for uh, a weekend, you know, a night and a couple meals and gas. So can't beat that. Um, we're having... So uh, we did a shuttle from the LSC today at 6.45, uh, thanks to Casto and Hannah. 
And if anyone's interested in that, again, next week, be there by 645, preferably a little earlier so we can leave at 645. If you're interested in that, um, yeah, just show up at the LSC kind of on the, the north side, like where the bus stop is. Um, one last thing, do what Chad said, live in community. And this is a perfect place to find roommates. So, uh, and I know there's a lot of people uh, with houses that need to fill them, and there's a lot of people that need houses. So, uh, actually, I'm going to do this. If you don't have a set plan, if you're not locked into something for next year, I want you to stand up for where you're going to live. There's got to be more. more. Everyone else knows where they live? Okay. Well, y'all could sit down. I bet, there, I bet there's more, but if there's not, y'all should talk to each other and find some roommates. Um, afterwards, and there's, I'm making chai, so that should not be too bad. And I'm going to pray, and Brent's, uh, you guys love Brent? This is the grand finale. This is his final sermon of the series. So I'm just going to pray and welcome him up. Lord, we thank you that we can hear from you tonight. And Lord, we, we thank you that you use people. God, you use people like Brent. And um, yeah, we're just so grateful that you're here, that you're in our midst. Lord, that when two or three of us are together, you're there. Uh, in the midst of us, not not just inside of us, but all around us, in the midst of us, God. And we we thank you for that. We welcome you, and we just give you free reign to speak uh, to speak to our hearts tonight. Uh, yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand, and I'm going to have Jacob Casso come up and read tonight's chapter, the last chapter of Colossians, chapter four. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you have a master also in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending you Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my coworkers. They are working here with me, here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect. 
fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. All right, thank you, Jacob. Jacob is there's someone we're so grateful that he came, that him and Valerie both decided to move here from Oklahoma. Our lives are so different because they're in it, and we're just so grateful for what they do. You know, they're just incredible leaders, both of them. And so, Jacob, we're so grateful for you. Tonight, you know, we're getting into the final chapter. You guys ready? You know, on, on the surface, this chapter doesn't seem very exciting. There's a lot of names that we don't know necessarily. There's a lot of uh, just formal letter E stuff, salutations and whatnot. And so it seems like maybe on the surface reading, there's not a lot to be gained here. But I want to challenge you tonight with this, that appearances are very deceiving. And there's incredible gems to be dug out of this passage. And so it's my goal to do that tonight. There's, there's incredible truth I want to bring forth in every letter, every word of this letter. Now, the, the quote I wanted to use tonight to kind of sum up where we're going is this. When dependence is the goal, weakness is to be celebrated. And we're going to be looking at weakness and strength. We're going to be looking at the radical middle. And I'm really going to be looking through one lens in particular. How, on the one hand, we are to walk with God individually. You're responsible for your own walk with God. No one else can walk the walk for you. But on the other hand, we need each other. Have you ever heard that before? We, we like to say that. One of my best friends, Duncan Chance, he's no longer, he's, he's no longer here. I was about to say he's no longer with us, which sounds like he died. <laughs> he's no longer here at Fort Collins, and now he's planning a Chi Alpha group at the University of Northern Colorado, which is amazing. But he always would say this, we need each other, and he meant it. We need each other. You can't do it by yourself. And it's a radical thing to walk in between your individual responsibility and the community of God. But we're going to be looking right at that tonight. When you look at this list of names, you think, who in the world are these people? And what's interesting is that some of God's greatest heroes, in fact, I would say most of God's greatest heroes, are unknown. Both unknown to the world and unknown even to the church. There's going to be an amazing day when it's revealed that they were famous in heaven. People that we never heard about. And so when they get a brief mention here in the scriptures, it's not because they're less heroic. When we look at, for instance, Aristarchus, we see that he is a Macedonian. These guys, they all kind of show up in different letters that Paul writes about. They get little references here and there. And we can kind of piece together some parts of their stories, which fill it out, help us see who they really were. Aristarchus was a Macedonian. If you remember in the book of Acts, Paul is getting ready to travel a certain direction. And then he has a vision, and it's of a Macedonian man pleading with him to come to Macedonia. And the Holy Spirit tells Paul, don't go the way you're going. You need to go to Macedonia, which is present-day Greece, that area. What's interesting is that because of that vision, Paul met Aristarchus. Aristarchus became a believer through that encounter. If you also read in the book of Acts, you'll see 
that Aristarchus got himself involved in what would be probably one of the most harrowing days of his life, there was a riot in Ephesus. And if you read the book of Acts, I mean, it's just one crazy event after another. And you get to this moment where there's a riot that starts to take place. It's stirred up by the idol makers in the city because they're losing business because of Christianity. Literally, the preaching of the gospel is so powerful. People are no longer worshiping their idols. And the idol makers, the people who work with the stone and the wood, are out of business. So they get mad. They stir up the city. Guess who they take into this arena? They, bring, they have a giant arena, Colosseum, in Ephesus. And they, they bring Aristarchus into that arena. And for probably a few hours, he thought he was going to lose his life. Thankfully, he did not. Someone intervened in that moment. But he lived through that. And then Paul says, Aristarchus is who I'm sending to you. You, the church in Colossae. It's a huge deal that he was the one who was going to hand deliver the letter. That's a huge deal. Back then, they didn't have the post office, so Paul wasn't going to mail it to them. It was going to have to be hand delivered. It's going to be a perilous journey. It was, a, it was at his own risk that he was going to go take this very letter that we're reading today. And we know it must have arrived because we have it here in the scriptures today. Faithful, heroic. Let me look at a few more names. Tychicus, Tychicus. Another interesting name, he was Asian from what we know as present-day Turkey. And what's interesting about him is that in, in 2 Timothy, Paul is at the end of his life and he's, he knows he's about to be killed. And so he's talking to Timothy, his disciple, who's pastoring the church in Ephesus at the time. And he says, Timothy, you need to get over here. I need to see you one last time before I go. And he sends Tychicus to go be the itinerant pastor in Ephesus. To be an itinerant pastor means he's, he's just a substitute, but he's more than that. He's not just a substitute. It's a huge honor. It takes a very humble person to serve in that office. It was someone who Paul trusted in greatly. Next, we see Luke, but the beloved doctor, it says, the beloved physician. He uses, Paul uses a term of endearment for Luke here because Luke accompanied Paul on this incredible voyage to Rome. And when Paul was put into prison, Luke was there. In fact, Luke remained with Paul to the end of his life. How many of you know the people that are with you the longest are so dear to your heart? That was Luke to Paul. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So we have him to thank for that. He survived a shipwreck where everyone on board the boat thought they were going to lose their lives. And he did that with Paul. So the, we see here what's going on is Paul is basically acknowledging, I don't do this by myself. Right? The Apostle Paul, if he didn't and couldn't do it on his own, can we? Can we afford to have the mentality that so many people do in our culture? I got this. No way. We cannot afford to think like that. We need each other. Okay? We need each other. Next we have Epaphras. Remember him from chapter 1? He was the one who brought the good news of the gospel to Colossae. He was the first preacher of the gospel there. He was the one who began the church. How many of you know the relationship you have with the person who led you to the Lord is unlike any other relationship you'll ever have? That is the, the sweetest relationship I think may be possible on this side of eternity. I can't help but get emotional when I talk about Jake Leffler, who's the reason why I'm walking with Jesus today. That relationship we have with each other is so tight and so the bond that we have together because he was the one who led me to Jesus. He was the one who fought for me. And you see, Epaphras didn't just stop when he ministered the gospel and then went on his way. We see that he's always laboring for them in prayer, always fighting for them. 
that sounds like the kind of love that comes from a parent who's devoted to their children that they brought into the world. In the same way, spiritually, when we bring people to Christ, they become like children to our hearts, and we fight for them. We continue fighting for them. How does someone fight in prayer, or what does it mean to pray? Prayer is dependence on God. If you ever wonder, like, what does it mean to depend on God, think about this. Prayer is dependence. Prayer is dependence. That's what it looks like. So let me ask you tonight, are you a praying man, or are you a praying woman? There's a whole world of difference between a man who prays and a praying man. A praying man, his life is distinguished by the tenor of his prayer life. That is central to his life. It's not in the periphery. It's not just a here and there thing. It's not when I'm in a bind, I'm going to call out to Jesus. Even unbelievers pray like that. The prayer life we're looking at tonight and that the radical middle would have us go into and, and remain in it is steadfast, abundant prayer. Now, here's the thing. As we're walking out our walk with Jesus, we begin to realize something. We're very weak. We are very weak in a lot of ways, and we cannot do this by ourselves. The more you realize and are conscious of that weakness, the more it draws you to God. The more it drives you to your knees. So we could say the radical middle is this. You realize your weakness on the one hand, and on the other hand, you feel and experience the power of God, the strength of God of God in your life. See, if we were just about weakness, if we, some people get in this trap. If you fall off this side of the radical middle, here's where you land. Oh, I'm just so weak, I could never do it. I, I just, you know, unbelief. It becomes unbelief. God, you can never use me. God, I could never be anything more than I am today. God, I could never remain faithful to you. I just, I'm just not going to do it. That's unbelief. You see, on the other side of the radical middle, we have presumption. I got this. I'm doing good. I, I think I can do this on my own. I think I don't really need these people in my life. I don't need the church. I can just do this thing on my, on my own. That's presumption. Also pride. We have to walk in the radical middle. Conscious of our weakness, but looking to Jesus in faith. Okay. Now when we, Paul's talking about prayer, he mentions this thing. He says, pray that a door would be open to us. Pray that a door would be open to us. How many of you know how to open a locked door? Would you, probably the first attempt, you would pick the lock, I'm assuming. Or, I mean, or use the key. <laughs> sans key and sans lock kit <laughs> tool. What are you going to do? You're going to kick the door handle? You know, if it's a strong door, maybe you're going to start getting into some heavier things like explosives. Maybe blow up the door, right? <laughs> now, this is how powerful prayer is. Prayer is the most powerful force in the world because prayer opens doors. And I'm not just talking about physical doors. I'm talking about spiritual doors which have been shut, which have been clenched shut for hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm talking about generational curses that are lifted in prayer and prayer alone. That's the kind of authority, that's the kind of power, dynamite that you experience in prayer. Some of you tonight are thinking there's a closed door in my life. Or you're looking for an opening. You're saying, God, I will serve you in this capacity if a door opens up. Can I just challenge that tonight? Let me take you back to the Israelites standing in front of the Red Sea. Okay, guess who led them there? They didn't get there by accident. God purposely led them in front of the sea when they were fleeing from Egypt. Pharaoh's army is chasing them. 
is coming after them. They've got two mountains on either side. They're hemmed in. There's no way forward, it seems like. The door is shut. Moses starts praying in a panic because the people are freaking out. They think, oh, we're going to die out here. Did you just deliver us, Moses and God, just so we could die in the desert? And Moses starts praying. There's this really funny moment. It's one of the few times in Scripture where God tells someone who's praying to shut up. But that's basically what he does. He says, Moses, shut up and get going. Go forward. Stretch out your rod. And Moses stretches his rod over the sea. And the, the, the wind comes and the sea begins to part. And they walk across on dry ground. A door is open. That's the kind of power and authority we are to walk in as believers. Some of you are saying tonight, it's just too hard for me. It's too hard to, you know, building a small group is hard. Staying in love with Jesus is hard. Dealing with my family because I chose to follow Christ is hard. And I get that. I grant that. Let me ask you this. What does power look like in the Christian life? Where does power come from? When we face hardship, when we face adversity, when your faith is tested, where do you go in that moment? The most powerful people on the earth are not sitting in thrones in palaces. The most powerful people on the earth are men and women kneeling before God in secret prayer. That's the most powerful position you'll ever be in is on your knees before God. I guarantee you that. That's the kind of prayer we're looking at tonight. Next, it says that Epaphras prayed steadfastly or diligently. Steadfast prayer. Now I want to look at another radical middle tonight. Because on the one hand, when you pray the first time for something, you are to pray expecting the answer from that very moment that you ask for it. You are to expect in faith the answer. But then the radical middle would teach us it's not just that, but it's also continuing steadfastly in prayer until the answer. It's a radical thing. It's this weird tension that we live in when we pray. On the one hand, believing expectantly from the very first prayer. On the other hand, continuing in prayer. So that means there's no room for one-off prayers. So often I think we don't receive the answer to prayer because we just throw a dart to God with our prayer and we just walk away from it. We don't ever go back to it. We don't continue steadfastly in prayer. But on the other hand, there's this other thing, error we could fall into on the radical middle. The other side of it would be vain repetition. Where people say, I've been praying for, you know, revival for 20 years and God has not answered. I've been praying for this, this breakthrough in my life, this healing miracle, and God has just not answered. That kind of prayer is not what is in mind here. It is the radical middle. It's that radical prayer where you continue in faith. In fact, where as the answer is delayed, your faith increases in spite of the opposition. And that only happens when you're dependent on, on God and the Holy Spirit. Finally, Paul says, pray for me. How interesting. He's not looking at the people in Colossae and saying, you know, you bunch of lowly Christians. I'm praying for you. <laughs> he says, pray for me. Pray for us. You see, there's no hierarchy in God's kingdom like there is in the world. Paul is not sitting perched atop his office looking down on everyone else. It's not like that. And I want to kind of debunk this idea of celebrity Christianity. You know, I, you know who I'm talking about. I don't need to name names. People who are famous on YouTube, personalities, pastors. I'm not trying to knock them right now, but I am trying to, 
get you to think differently. Because what so often happens when we look at these videos and we watch their sermons is we think subconsciously almost, I could never be like that. I could never do what that guy's doing. God hasn't called me to do that. We almost subconsciously disbelieve what God is calling us to because of celebrity Christianity. You know what was prophesied about 20 years ago to the Vineyard Church? How many of you know what the, the Vineyard is? Vineyard Church is a charismatic church. came out of the Jesus movement in the 1960s. They had this word of prof- prophecy that happened to them. It was this. There will rise up in these days a faceless generation who will no longer be dictated or led by these personalities. There's going to be a faceless generation where you and I, our faces are not known or recognized. Where we live for the glory of God and that satisfies us completely. Did you know this? You are the answer to that prophecy. You are the answer to that prophetic word of God. I believe this with all my heart. Chi Alpha is being called to be the faceless generation. Where there's no great celebrity personality leading the way, but it's all of us together. Humbly serving one another, walking it out together. Faceless, because we don't care. You know what defines a faceless generation? Two things. One, the faceless generation, these kind of people do not care about their name being known. Because they live for the fame of Jesus Christ. They don't care about being famous. Because they live for his glory alone. Secondly, this generation is distinguished by this fact. They are willing to serve anywhere, including the lowly, unwanted places. Including the lowly, small influence places. Where even Christians would look down on those kind of places. Let me ask you tonight, are you willing to serve God on the backside of nowhere? I don't have any other way to put it. Are you willing to serve Jesus if he, was, if he was calling you to the middle of nowhere, where you're going to actually maybe lose influence. You know what? I want to tell you a promise tonight. I want you to remember this. This was passed down to me by Jake. He said, as long as your heart is to serve, you will always have influence. <laughs> Anyone can grab a broom. That's his motto. Anyone can grab a broom. If you're in a situation in work, and you're like, God, I want to see the kingdom of God advance here. I want to see the kingdom power overcome the enemy in my workplace. And you're thinking, I don't know how to do that. I don't even know the first step to take. Grab a broom. Start serving. Be small. Let yourself be unnoticed. Because you know what's going to happen? Jesus is going to delight to promote you. He's going to elevate you. You don't need to take it upon yourself to achieve prestige and fame and reputation and notoriety in this world. And in fact, if you're doing it the right way, you know what happens? We who are the faceless generation, you know what happens to us? God elevates us to the highest privileged positions. You know what those are? I have friends today that are serving Jesus in Cairo, Egypt. I have friends today who are serving Jesus in Oman. I have friends today serving Jesus People I know serving Jesus in Saudi Arabia. I have people that we know serving Jesus in northern Africa. Those are the highest privileged places that God sends the faceless generation to. I want to change your paradigm about these places. I heard a story about uh, a young man, not much older than you, who was like you, 
a member of the faceless generation, not trying to take on power and prestige, not looking to make a name for himself, not even wanting necessarily maybe even to be a missionary, called by God to the Middle East. I won't say the country where he's from because we're recording this and I just want to protect his safety. He was in a Middle Eastern country, a predominantly Muslim country where it is illegal to be a Christian and convert to Christianity. In fact, where the death sentence will be enacted by the government if you do so as a Muslim. He was in this nation and he was beginning to connect with Muslims who were coming to faith in Christ. He was beginning to find them. Jesus was helping him reach them, network with them. And it's very difficult and arduous. It takes a long time. Well, one night, they finally were able to meet together for the first time. Talk about a first small group. These men came into the room shaking because they thought this might be a trap. This might be it. This might be the end of their lives. And he had the privilege to baptize them in his bathtub. Okay? That's the privilege that God gives to the faceless generation. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. I want my life to matter like that for eternity. I want, to, I want to be in the middle of that action. But you know what? I'm content to serve right where I'm at. Jesus, I'm not going to promote myself. I'm just going to let you do it, God. Let's live like that. How do we do this? How in the world did we come to this point of living like this? You might be thinking, this all sounds awful. Like, that, I, I never want to go to the Middle East ever. I never even, like, want to think about that. How do, how do we get to this point where we become the faceless generation? You know another interesting name mentioned by Paul here? You might have missed it. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Let me tell you about Mark's story. In the book of Acts, his name is John Mark. Barnabas and Paul are going out on their first missionary journey. The Holy Spirit has just called them, elected them to go. And they bring John Mark with them. Mark. And during the journey, at some point, we don't exactly know all the details, but guess what? Mark bails on them. Peace is out. He, he cuts it and he runs. He deserts them. While they're in trial, while they're suffering for Jesus, he can't take it. He's out. This episode is so significant in Paul and Barnabas' lives that when it comes time to go on another missionary journey and Barnabas wants to give Mark another chance, Paul says, no way. I, I've seen his proven track record, and he has failed. I'm not taking him again. It is so contentious between them. They part ways. They actually split up. This amazing partnership ends at that point in the book of Acts. Paul takes Silas. He goes a different direction. Barnabas takes Mark and goes another. What's amazing is we, we're here in, in Colossians, and this is, this is nearing the end of Paul's time in, in prison. This is, this is where, or excuse me, not in prison, but this is, this is near the end of the book of Acts, if you will. And actually even further, this, the timeline is basically Paul has grown older. And you know what he says? Welcome, Mark. Welcome him. You know what that means? Paul has brought Mark back into fellowship. He's graciously extended not just forgiveness, he's restored Mark's reputation. He tells, you, you know the Apostle Paul, if, if he's speaking, people listen, right? So when he honors Mark, it's incredible honor. It's incredible. He has completely restored his reputation. I don't know what that conversation looked like when they finally met up again. But I imagine it went something like this. Paul showing him grace. The grace of God. So when you fail, uh, let me ask you this tonight. How many of you have tasted the grace of God? You don't have to put your hands up. But think about this. The more you've tasted the grace of God, like the worse your failure is, the worse your defeat, 
even after you started walking with Jesus, because Mark was a believer at this point, the worse it is when Jesus wraps his arms around you and welcomes you back. You know what that does to your heart? It does this. There's nothing to lose, and there's nothing to prove. Nothing to lose at that point. Because you can't blow it worse than that. You can't be worse than deserting two guys suffering for the gospel and, and then being brought back into fellowship with them. That just does something in a human heart where it, it makes a lasting permanent change. So I want to encourage you tonight. Have you experienced and encountered God's grace like that? Do you live in such a way where you have nothing to prove? Nothing to lose. That's how you become the faceless generation. Next, Paul says, remember my chains. It's an interesting phrase. I love it. It grips me at the, end of the, at the end of the chapter. Remember my chains. Sounds almost like a metal album. <laughs> what is Paul saying here? Is he saying, send some nice vibes my way? You know, remember me. Send me some nice thoughts while I'm here in jail. No, of course not. You know what he's getting at? He's saying, I want to remind you of my chains because I want to remind you of the goal of the gospel. Here it is, guys. Here's, here's the culmination. Four weeks. Here's what we're getting to. I save the best for last. Jesus always saves the best wine for last. Here's the best. You know what the goal of the radical middle is? You know why we, we stick to it when sometimes it's so difficult to remain in that middle ground? When we're getting pulled this direction and that direction? You know why you stick to it? I, I'll give you a hint. It's not for you, and it's not for anyone else in this room, but it's for Jesus. The goal of the gospel is that through the grace of God, Jesus would receive his joy from your life. Jesus would receive his joy. It's all about him. <laughs> it's amazing. I could put it another way. It's not so much about the fact that God loves you because he does. Oh, glory to God. I'm, I'm so thankful that God loves us. It's not that. The goal of the gospel is Jesus is lovely. You see the difference there? Yeah, I love that God loves me. I love that fact. I am so thankful for it. But there's something so much better to my heart that just motivates me for everything I do in my life, and that's this. Jesus is so amazing. He's so lovely. He's worth wasting our lives on. And let me tell you something. Jesus just might give you the privilege of wasting your life on him. Why is Paul in prison? It's, I mean, think about how unuseful that is to the world. Here's our best apostle, literally the most brilliant man probably on earth at that time, who has had such a radical revelation of the gospel, he can explain it backwards and forwards. His explanations are so great, we make them into scripture. They're anointed and inspired by God. Shouldn't that guy be out there like doing more? But that misses the goal of the gospel in the radical middle, because that's not the goal. Washington Nee has this quote, if you can go to the next slide. He says, uh, actually not that one. There's another quote. Basically, he says, God is not afraid. So often, we're all about apostolic journeys. But God is not afraid to put his best saints in prison. We're all about the apostolic journey. We love that part. But God is not afraid to put his best apostles, his very best, into jail, in a prison, behind bars, where they're not as useful to the church. They're not as useful to the world. But they're spending their lives on him. You see that? Where they're, where they're just being emptied on him, poured out on him. That's, that, that's because of how worthy Jesus is. He's not selfish in doing that. He's so good for doing that because I want to spend my life on the thing that matters most, and he's the one who matters most. 
I want to spend my life on that. I want to be poured out. I want to remain in a position where I'm not as influential and maybe I don't have this great ministry because that might mean I have a quieter life where I can worship Jesus and I don't get so busy that I lose sight of him. Don't be so quick to take a career or a position in your life. Don't be so quick to pursue a major that will cost you time with God. I would rather pursue a really middle-of-the-road career and know that I have time for Jesus. That's what I'm talking about tonight. That's how powerful this is. Because when your life is lived like that, it releases this fragrance. And it creates a hunger in others for Jesus. It fills the room with this odor, this fragrance that's just so sweet to smell. Have you ever been around someone broken like this? I want to live like that. I don't know about you guys. I want to live like that. Finally, Paul brings us to this really interesting line. And here's the other. Here we're going to come full circle with the radical middle tonight. We're t- we've been talking about community, how we need each other, how we need to depend on God in prayer. We come to him like a needy beggar. You know, all our weaknesses are actually our strength in him. Now I want to bring it full circle by looking at not the community aspect, not we need each other, but this fact that your life matters. Individually, in the community, your life matters. You know how I know this? Paul says to Archippus near the end of the chapter, one of these funny sounding names, he says to Archippus, take heed to the ministry you have received in the Lord. Now Archippus, a little bit of background on him, he's the son of Philemon. Philemon is that tiny, tiny little book in your Bible near the end of the New Testament, which is about a page. It's one chapter, a little letter. Philemon, from that letter, we discern that he was a church, he was a house pastor. Because the church didn't meet in buildings back then, it met in houses. So he led, he led a, a part of the church in Colossae at that time. And his son was, we, we believe this, we infer it from the text, Archippus. How many of you can relate to this, this thing? You're either a pastor's kid, and look, there are even pastor's kids in the early church. You're either a pastor's kid, or the people that have gone before your life, the people that you look up to in the faith, it seems like they're, the legacy they have, you could never live up to. Like, I could, never, I could never walk with Jesus like my small group leader did. Or I could never walk with Jesus like that guy did. Or, again, that celebrity Christianity thing. I could never be like that guy. Christianity 101, here we go. You're right. <laughs> You're right. You on your own could never live up to that. Because it's not them on their own that's doing it. Christianity 101 is this. Ordinary people, you and I are ordinary people. Ordinary people like you become friends with an extraordinary God. That's what it looks like. You become friends with an extraordinary God. We're just ordinary people. I'm an ordinary person. So ordinary. I mean, I couldn't be more ordinary, honestly. But if, if there's anything in my life that has been of significant or value, it's because I love and I worship and I walk with an extraordinary, amazing God. So you're right in saying that. Now, the radical middle comes into play here too. Shirking an earthly responsibility is a lot different than a heavenly calling. You see in this passage, this verse, 
Archippus is told, take heed to the ministry you have in the Lord. It doesn't say the ministry that Paul, I, Paul, gave you. It doesn't say the ministry you inherited from your dad, Philemon. It doesn't say any human hands or any human will decided that Archippus would do what he's doing but Jesus. You see, it's one thing to shirk an earthly responsibility. Like when you don't show up to work, when you miss class, you know, these things, like, they're one thing. <laughs> How much more severe or significant is it when you shirk a heavenly calling? And see, it's, it's amazing that Jesus himself called Archippus. Young guy, probably about your age. Why not his dad? Why not remind his dad of the calling on his life? But instead, Paul calls out individually Archippus. Calls him out right here in the letter. How nice is that, right? How would you like to be Archippus getting called out at the end of the le- Oh, by the way, remind Archippus not to abandon his ministry in Jesus. Here's the thing. Here's the radical middle of Ken, guys. The radical middle teaches us to depend on God and to depend on one another. And because you depend on God, you are able to risk the hurt of depending on one another. How many of you know that you will be hurt in community? Yes, that is true. <laughs> you will be hurt in community. That is a guaranteed fact. You know, another name I want to point out, Demas gets a mention here. Demas, his fate is similar to John Mark's. I think it's a little bit more tragic. Because Demas, it says in Second Timothy, that he abandons Paul for the love of the world. And that's when Paul is in prison about to die. Paul's lowest moment. And he's one of the guys who cuts and runs then. That's a lot different than than Mark bailing on their first missionary journey. This is when Paul is absolutely in his greatest need of community. That is a serious offense, a serious treason against community to commit that error. And unfortunately, that's just the case. Demas will exist in our lives, okay? Now, I want to teach you something tonight. How do you stand? How do you stand knowing that you will be hurt? How do you continue to, to risk trusting one another in the way that God wants you to as you walk out the radical middle. First of all, I want to tell you this. Present obedience leads to future faithfulness. Present obedience leads to future faithfulness. People that have suffered in the persecuted church always point to this fact. They say, if, you're, if you ever ask someone who has suffered greatly for the Lord, I've read the book Tortured for Christ about a man who was tortured 14 years for Jesus. And in this book, you know what he says? help the ones who made it to endure that. You know how they made it? He said they had a devotional life. And when, before they were in prison and tortured, they had a devotional life. Every day that he spent with Jesus prepared him for the hardship ahead. Every single day. Isn't that, it just seems so, almost too small like we would miss that. Like maybe you should, you know, take on harder tasks or more responsibility, but it's just having a Devo life. Present obedience, the, the little things that God's asking you to do will translate into big victories later. Tomorrow's victories are being determined on today, on our obedience today. Secondly, here's how we also stand. Did you know that someone is fighting for you? I want to tell you about the one who fights for you for a moment. This is so dear and near the heart of God. This is so much the essence of who he is, that he fights for you. The one who never grows weary, he never gets tired, he never gives up. The one who sees all things and the end of all things and has all wisdom and has all power is fighting on your behalf. 
you are going to stand and make it because Jesus is Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? Because Jesus is who he is. Because he's so radically in love with you. And he's so passionate about pursuing you. But it's not just Jesus. I think about my dad. My dad would go on jogs in the morning. My dad works and has worked most of his life for Pepsi. A somewhat physically demanding position, job. He's, he, you know, I watched him grow older as I grew up. But my dad would always go out and run. And during those runs, he would pray for me. I'm not just standing here because of Jake. I'm also standing here because my dad fought for me. And I want to encourage you with this fact that there are people in this community who have fought for you. Some of them are not here tonight because they've, they've graduated. Some of them are sitting maybe right next to you. There's so many people that God has used in your life to fight for you. And the community of God looks most like Christ when it has this one distinguishing characteristic that we fight, that there's a fighting spirit inside of us. We fight for one another. We don't just roll over when hardship comes. We don't just let people go easily. We fight for them, tooth and nail. That's when the community, that's when this thing, Outpost, I, I never want you to leave this community looking down on the church because that's what the church is meant to be. And if you end up in a church one day that's not, you make it that. You start fighting. Okay, you start fighting. Seniors, those of you about to graduate and go on to other things, you fight. You fight. You find uh, the hardest ground, the least influential position maybe, the obscure place, the corner of the earth where you're not going to be recognized or known. You find that place and you fight with everything in your heart. I want to give us a corporate blessing tonight. And worship team, you can come back up. I want to give us a corporate blessing tonight. This is a corporate message. This is for us together. We need each other. I want to break the independent spirit. Oh, I hate that spirit. I hate the spirit of independence. I got this. I don't need you. Did you know the first step away from God is saying, I have no need of you? We must be so committed to this conviction. I, I don't want it just to be my conviction tonight. I want it to be our conviction. Hey, as a community, let's do this. Let's commit ourselves to fighting for one another, for our campus, for your family, for your coworkers, for your classmates, for your roommates, for every person God will put in your sphere of influence, fighting for them. Let's do that corporately. Let's have that as our identity. Let's let Outpost be known for that. I don't want to be known for, there's a lot of things we could know, be known about, you know, like, hey, they have great worship, which, by the way, we do. <laughs> Or, hey, the, the, the preaching is so good, you got to come on Thursday. I want, I want people to say this about us. They know how to fight for one another. <laughs> That's what I want for us. So I'm going to pray that over us tonight. Jesus. Lord, I believe this is such, a, such an important prayer. And if ever I could offer you a prayer that was important, it would be this one. I pray that you would so fill us with the Spirit of God, the fighting Spirit of God, the warrior Spirit of God. You would so fill us with that Spirit tonight that we would be known as a people who don't give up on each other, who bind our lives together in pursuit of you. Jesus, I pray for just that touch of the hand of God 
on our community tonight, on us corporately. I pray for a corporate blessing over Outpost, that Outpost would go forward bearing these truths out in our daily lives, that you would show us with all wisdom and spiritual understanding the full knowledge of God, that we'd be filled with the knowledge of God and your will, that we'd be filled with the will of God to go and fight for one another and fight for this world to know you, Jesus, and to, and to break open doors which are shut right now. I pray that addiction be broken right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that addiction to pornography be broken right now in the name of Jesus Christ, that freedom comes right now in the name of Jesus Christ. That's, that's your power, Lord. That's the power of your prayer right now tonight. I pray for a freedom from the bondage of, of immoral relationships in the name of Jesus. No more going back into that cycle of getting hurt and hurting one another. No more going back into that in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that general, generational curses would be lifted in the name of Jesus Christ tonight. That we would no longer be given to lying or a lying spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would have clean lips in the name of Jesus Christ. That our speech would be pure from here on out. I pray that profanity would have no place in our mouths. I pray that slander and gossip would be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. That in this community we would be known as a people of clean lips, pure hearts, who are abandoned to the will of God. I want to pray an anointing on us, Jesus, that our vision is elevated to see that you're calling us to be faceless, but you're going to call us to the hardest, most unreached place of this world. Lord, I pray tonight that there be a calling of God corporately on the outpost, not just individually, but corporately, that we would be a people of God who change the world. I pray that over us tonight, Jesus. I pray that we don't give up on seeing healing in our family members. I pray in the name of Jesus that we don't give up in, in, in unbelief and doubt, that we don't just roll over, Jesus, but we fight to the last days of our lives. I pray we don't give up on those who are not coming to salvation. I pray, Jesus, that we be a people who will fight until until as, as best as we can, these souls that we're fighting for come and enter into the kingdom of God. I pray that forgiveness would flow in this community like water. It would just flow from our hearts. It would be so evident on our lives and our lips and our hearts. There would be no bitterness in us in the name of Jesus. Bitter root, I command you, go in the name of Jesus Christ. We are no longer going to walk in these things. We're going to walk in the holiness of God according to his prophetic word tonight. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.